0: Welcome to Murder in the Black with Steph and M.D. Welcome
1: back to Murder in the Black. I'm your host, Steph. And I'm M.D. And we're kicking off season four. Yes, season four, we're back. Do you feel rested, MD?
0: No, I don't. But that's okay because, like, I live (laughs) on tired. Like, that is the, the story of my life. But it's okay. You know, at some point, I guess it's gonna slow down. I don't, get it I don't I, I mean, don't know no. I probably am not gonna get it together, but at some point it'll slow down. I'm well, not sure when well that will
1: be. I mean
0: But we are back and we you know, I'm not gonna say bigger, or better. We're we're amazing, we're wonderful.
1: Yeah, we've planned some stuff out for season four. We're excited four. Probably about we, season four. We have done this, I, I would say the actual planning stage of this has been refreshing cuz we know exactly
0: <laughs> we know exactly what we're covering right. and that's a little different than any other season even if we knew like one or two cases going into a season we didn't know all, all of our of cases and yes. we actually know all of our cases yes. so we're super excited to bring that to you and to jump into our first theme of the season so our first theme of the season is sports related
1: Yes, we're covering true crime related to sports, which is going to be super interesting. I think so. Yeah, I think a lot of you, even if you're not a sports fans, I think you will find it interesting just because you
0: know the people. Mm-hmm. I always think it's fascinating. It's wonderful to like, you know, hear about, you know, just everyday people and, you know, crimes and victims of crimes in everyday life, but it's all, to me, it's like super fascinating when the person has some relative fame.
1: Yeah, because you get to learn a little bit more about them and, and I mean, and cover them in some prayer, because Lord. Right. You know what I'm saying? But MD, what
0: should we be doing? We should grab our coffee if it's the morning and grab your wine if it's the evening, but either way, let's get into it.
1: Let's get into it. So our story um, is actually going to be two parts. So we just want to let y'all know upfront: right. we're going to get COVID. mad. We're right. gonna we're gonna be back next week with yeah. part two. We got you. So we are actually covering James Jordan, and James Jordan is Michael Jordan's the goat. That's his father, and yes. he passed away in 1993. So let's get into what actually happened, what took place. So James Jordan was from Wallace, North Carolina. Um, He grew up, he had a tough upbringing, um, a very hard, like a poor background. He came from a poor background. But he eventually joined the Air Force, and in 1957, he married his high school sweetheart named Dolores. And, you know, they got together and they had five children. Ooh. Did you know they had that many kids? No.
0: I actually only know of Michael Jordan's brother, Larry.
1: Right, me too. So As, I, was I like, don't
0: know. Larry is, I don't know. I don't even know why I know Larry. But <laughs>
1: <I'm>, <laughs> you knew Larry. Yes, so, knew yeah I knew Larry.
0: I, I think like, I may have even known he had a sister, but I definitely didn't know he had four other siblings. Me
1: either. <laughs> I was like, okay, I was busy in the 50s. Mm -hmm. Um, so eventually the Jordans actually moved from North Carolina to New York where, um, his father James got a job, um, to fix, I want to say planes, um, under a GI bill. So he moved there, but you know, that just kind of wasn't their speed. You know, New York is super fast paced. Or so they say, I don't know.
0: I well, don't know. I mean, I've, I haven't lived there, but I've been there. And Is I think it, that's an accurate depiction. Yeah,
1: and so, you know, they were just kind of like, you know what? We're going to move back to North Carolina, but we're not going to stay in Wallace. We're going to move to Wilmington, which was more of a, you know, suburban, slower pace, but a, a, a better community as far right. as the economic status was, was concerned. And so James, you know, took took to taking care of his family and taking care of his children but he was a sports fan yeah he was actually really good at baseball right yes he almost went pro yeah like so this is immediately when I knew that I was like okay the connection yes yes okay I get it so um you know he really inspired his two boys and motivated them to you know love sports as well and to like fall in love with the game but just not the game of basketball but just pretty much all sports
0: well because like one of the things that I love personally about sports and and I was an athlete is the lessons that sports actually teaches you like sports teaches you so much about life if you really like peel back all the layers um, of competition I think was we think so much about the competitiveness of sports but sports teaches you how to play as a team like how to be a team teammate how to you know work hard how to make sacrifices you know like it's it really teaches you so much about you know adult life and if you can get those themes at a, as a young kid I mean I think you know you are setting yourself up for success for later in life
1: absolutely I think it helps to make you a real rounded person for mm-hmm. sure And so um, Mike, actually, if you guys didn't know, but I feel like everybody knows the story of Mike. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on Mike. Uh, But he was a late bloomer. I mean, he uh, ended up getting varsity in his junior year. And by his senior year, he got an offer to go to actually North Carolina uh, University. So his family was immediately involved. His brother, his dad, like it was a family affair to get up. And go to Larry and Michael Jordan's game. Like that's just what we're doing as a family. It was in a family event, an affair. And, you know, eventually, you know, once he gets to college, he sprouts up to about 6'4. Um, he was really good on offense. I mean, he just became who he was. Yeah, no, what's actually
0: really interesting about Mike is that he actually started at UNC as a freshman. Um, and it wasn't because of his offense. It was actually it was because the defense. of his defense, you know, you which I love that because, not. right, it was, I love that because, you know, I, I, I always tell my kids that defense wins you know, championships, you know, like that's where the game is won, like no matter what game it is. It's the defense. But we know Michael for his offensive game. Like we know the the Mike, the, Mike, the MJ, the, the GOAT. We know him for his offensive game. But in college, he was mainly known for his defensive game. But he became known because he took the game winning shot as a freshman.
1: As a freshman. His, As a even freshman. his own mama was like, no, what y'all doing? Well, you and even more than
0: just like him taking the shot, I, you know, I challenge you to go back and watch this. And I, the only reason why I'm able to speak so like um, intelligently about this in this moment is because I recently saw the movie Air and it just, you know, brought it all back. And then my husband and I came back and we watched it on <laughs> we watched it on YouTube. But like he took that shot with a level of confidence that I think most seasoned athletes wouldn't do Mm. and it was just and that is who MJ was it was he he was confident not necessarily in his ability to make the shot but in his ability his work ethic Mm. he knew he had practiced that shot so so much he reminds me so much of Kobe like that's how I think of like Kobe's work ethic you know he they say that he he got that from from Mike
1: yeah For sure. And so that actually jumps off Mike's career. I mean, he was well on his way, but when he took that game winning shot, um, they won the national championship, and Mike's career just explodes. Um, And so, of course, Mike enters, you know, eventually uh, goes to the draft, becomes a Chicago Bull, um, and his father is right alongside him. He's right there with him. And the one thing that James instilled in Michael was his work ethic that Mm. you just kind of talked about. And he encouraged him. He said, you know, hard work and dedication, whether you're young or old, black or white, will always get you somewhere. Mm. And that is just so true. But that just goes to show you that you are really molded into the person that you are by your parents and your environment. And genetics. I mean, we cannot deny that has something to do with it, right? But you are really molded into that person. And Mike was. So, you know, it's just... its I think it's a remarkable... James did a remarkable job, obviously, with his children in general. But, I mean, we can just tell. His his handprints are all over Michael Jordan. And I just think that's that's amazing. So, in July of 1993 july 23rd to be exact james left wilmington traveling back home to charlotte because by the time mike's career had jumped off he was um he had moved his family to charlotte north carolina and um james was you know driving back home he was in his car and he actually had just attended a funeral of one of his former co-workers And he was actually scheduled to fly. He was going back to Charlotte and was scheduled to fly out to Chicago that next day because he had a golf tournament to play with Mike. And if you know Mike, you know he loved golf and so did his dad. So at some point it's suspected that he became tired and pulled off in a place called Lumberton, North Carolina. To get some rest. And I want to say this was between I-95 and I-74. And a lot of truckers would drive along that path. And while he didn't stop at a particular rest stop. You know how they have the rest stops on the highways that we see when we're driving long distances. It was not a marked rest stop. But a lot of truck drivers would stop and get some rest. Mm-hmm. So, it I mean, you know, I kind of just want to say that because oh, okay. it so wasn't marked. It was. It, it was a stop, though. It was a it was a natural it, it stop. Was a, I don't want to say it place. was natural, but you would see a lot of truck drivers who would pull off and just be on the side of the road, and they would rest there. And everybody in the community knew it. Like, oh, okay. okay, but it was not a marked resting stop. Okay, that's and important. I don't know if it's because it was 1993 and they had a sign, or I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, i was still again So, um, you know, so he pulls off. Now, what they did say is that he had went to dinner before leaving Wilmington, right? It was a funeral. It was probably a repast, And they said he actually had something to drink. So the first theory was is that he just didn't pull off because he was tired. He pulled off because he was intoxicated and he needed to get some rest. But that didn't make just a whole lot of sense because 500 yards away from where he stopped was a hotel. Well, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Why he would
0: pull over at all if there was 500 feet away.
1: Exactly. Like, because you could just go to the hotel. You just go to the hotel. And then, uh, and then it was alleged that he didn't have any money. Yeah, but he was MJ's dad. Exactly. Like, so all of the reasons why, like, people would, you know, when they would hear this story, they would like, well, that's still... Old... I mean, he's MJ's daddy. He's in North Carolina. My God, everybody knows. Michael Jordan, who doesn't? Yeah, who doesn't? I mean, <laughs> who doesn't know his daddy? <laughs> and at who this do, point, because his dad was featured in national commercials with him, like everybody and he was knew always him. with his dad, and he was always with his dad, absolutely. So, you know, they're trying to just put the pieces of the puzzles together, and they know for a fact because cell phones were actually it was early, but you could have a cell phone in your car. You remember yeah, that exactly? My dad had one, <laughs> or was it Mama? I was a kid in 93. I don't know about that life. I mean, I was
0: too, but I remember (laughs) when they got a car, a car phone. I think it was, I think it was daddy. Daddy had one and then mommy got one.
1: Okay, sure. So, you know, um, you know, uh, he had a car phone, so they were able to track down, like they were able, able to pull those phone records and see that he had talked to people from the 22nd. And he had talked to people from the 23rd, but then he kind of just went ghost. Like, he didn't call anybody. Now, I have to mention that from the 23rd until they found him in August, nobody was looking for him. Well, Or nobody reported him missing. There you go. Mm-hmm. Nobody reported him missing to the local police. Which is so strange. And he had a 57th birthday. Right. In between that time, and I think for me, when I was researching this, I was like, "That is so strange. Uh, okay." I think that is that's the very weird because, okay, so maybe you're missing for a couple of days or a weeks, and even if I think that is normal for you, your birthday, your birthday, <laughs> like
0: I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be trying to find you on your birthday.
1: Absolutely. I mean, okay. well, you know, so they say that MJ's security team was looking for him. But they didn't Well report. they conducted it yeah, they were looking for him and they kind of conducted their own little investigation. investigation. But like y'all not the Texas Rangers, y'all not I don't care if you are the Texas Rangers. <laughs> you're not reporting him. <laughs> we're not so, gonna report him. It's just thing. that
0: was just odd to me. It is odd. It's, it's odd. I'm there's not there's nothing I'm not, nobody's saying that that's
1: sketch or that means it's just, something. It's just
0: different. It's just I feel like if I don't hear from my family, I'm reporting. You know, I'm reporting.
1: <laughs> yes. And then I'm putting
0: boots on the ground. And, and I mean, I may still do my own investigation, mm-hmm. but I'm going to report.
1: Absolutely. So Highway Patrol actually got a tip that a car was parked in the woods and it had been vandalized. So they go and check it out and in their you know, perusing around and trying to figure out whose car is this, what's going on, because the car was like... The windows were all shattered. The speakers had been taken out of the car. It had been stripped down. So it's not like they could just, you know, kind of get the plates and figure out who it was. They actually had to do a little bit more investigation. And what they found out is that the car belonged to James. It was purchased by Michael in Chicago. And, you know, James was nowhere to be found or seen or any of that. But what they did do that I thought was good is they went ahead and ran a fingerprint test on the car. Mm-hmm. They did luminol to see if there were, you know, conducted luminol tests to see if there was any blood found in the car. And, you know, they at this point, they are now communicating with Michael. And they're they Michael tells them, yeah, I know he's, you know, he hasn't been around. I'm glad you found a car. They're trying to put the pieces together along with Michael and his team. But what they don't know at that particular time is that two days prior, a body was found floating in the water and it was actually found by a fisherman. Now, this body was found in North Carolina near the border of, well, it was the border of North Carolina and South Carolina. So yeah, technically, like it county. was it was a different county, but it was mm-hmm. South Carolina. Like, it's, it's that kind of like, middle place where oh, yeah, it, was a, land, it near, was a different state, but right. Okay. And if you, if he was probably on the other side of North Carolina, Right. but right. so they found that body, the body was highly decomposed. I mean, just very decomposed and nobody was like, they didn't have any missing people in mm-hmm. South Carolina County. Mm-hmm. So for them, because of the high level of decomposition, it was common practice for the medical examiner to take the jawbone the hands and then cremate the rest of the body did you know that
0: i didn't know that that was common practice right but i did know that that occurred in this case
1: yes so that that for me kind of surprised me um because i you know i I know a lot of like random medical facts and i didn't know that that's what medical examiners at least at that time to decompose bodies yes that's what they did Mm -hmm. Um, but it also makes sense because if you don't have anybody to ID the body, well, you're going to get things that you need to identify the body if something comes up, but the rest isn't salvageable. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's decomposed. Right. I mean,
0: it really does kind of make some, some level of sense and it's prudent that they took pieces of the body that, that
1: could be used to identify later. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, As they are kind of like now putting the pieces of the puzzle together, okay, this body found in South Carolina, this body, you know, the car was found found in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Let's, you know, so they communicated. And they were able to identify the body of being James Jordan on August 13th, 1993. Now, it was concluded um, by the medical examiner that, um... James died from a single gunshot wound. So I guess they were able to find that out on the initial autopsy. Mm -hmm. And um, there was no blood in the car. There wasn't a sign of struggle. And of course, this devastated the entire North Carolina community. I mean, and I think everybody's hearts went out to Michael Jordan at this time because... um, MD mentioned that she didn't realize that he was, you know, super close to his dad. Um, but it was it was known like his dad was his rock. I mean, especially around his close circles and the Chicago family um, and North Carolina community. People knew that that his father was his mentor. It was his best friend was, you know, his everything. And so, you know, everybody was trying to at that time just kind of get together, be a community. Be everything that 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 Michael Jordan and his family needed at the time, so Michael Jordan and his community showed up uh for him, and not only did a lot of people who were present in his life at the time come um, for the funeral of his father, but uh, a lot of his old friends from the community in Wallace and in Wilmington showed up for the funeral. And his father was laid to rest in Wallace, North Carolina, where he was from. Uh, But now it was like the mystery of we found his dad, you know, he he passed away. But who did it Mm -hmm. and what happened? And so everybody was just trying to figure that out. And now the murder investigation really kicks in and begins. So MD, tell us a little bit about what happens. So 10 days
0: after the body was discovered, you know, they like Steph said, they did a lot of this like preliminary testing of the vehicle. And one of the things that they did was, you know, take fingerprints and those fingerprints, you know, were able to point them in the direction of some some boys, four boys that were the ones that actually did strip the vehicle and destroy the vehicle. But those boys are like, listen, like. We were just approached and asked to strip this vehicle and destroy this vehicle. We weren't, we didn't have anything to do with anything else. It It, wasn't me. It wasn't me. And the police believed them. Okay. Now, I don't know why the the police just believe them off jump, but they were able to direct them to this guy named Daniel, Daniel Green, who they said, Daniel Green and this Indian guy are the guys that came and gave us the car. Like- that's all we know. That's all we got. And so the police end up going and finding Daniel Green's brother, who was in the military at the time. And so it was I guess he was easy to, to identify. They went to go speak with David, uh, which is Daniel Green's brother. And David's like, you know what? Um, yes, I did see my brother. And yes, he did. He was driving this red Corvette. Um, I believe it was a Corvette, right? Was it a Corvette?
1: Yeah,
0: I was it, Alexis. Okay, listen, Ooh. it was a red car, y'all. <laughs> just
1: know
0: it was a red car. But you know, I my brother was driving this red car, and it was it looked really expensive. And I asked him where he got it from, and you know, he didn't really tell his brother where he got it from. He kind of you know just it was very sketchy. And so his brother was like, "Y'all gotta go. Like, <laughs> y'all gotta get away from oh my house. You gonna go, but, yeah. but you're gonna get away from my house with this car." And so. You know, he just tells the police everything that he knew, which wasn't much, right? And so the police asked him, well, where does your brother live? And so he tells him, you know, my brother lives in in Robeson County. And that just put off all the, like, alarm bells in the police officers' heads. Because what they found from those phone call records that they pulled mm-hmm. is that several calls were being made to Robinson County. Well, what they did know is that Mr. Jordan didn't know anybody in this county or like, you know, to the best of their knowledge. And so it was strange that he would have been making these calls. And so once they saw that Daniel Green lived in Robinson County, it just kind of put the two and two together for the police officers. So they go to um, Daniel's house, which Daniel lived with his mother at the time. And they asked Daniel if he'll come down to the station to talk to them. Daniel freely goes to the police station.
1: Okay. How old is
0: Daniel? Daniel's 18 years old. Okay. So he's of age to talk to the police without parental cons- consent or parental presence. You know. Mm-hmm. But you know, he, he did freely go down on his own accord and talk to the police for several hours. And during this time the police... You know, are questioning him. Daniel never asked to speak to an attorney, but get this, they also never invoked his rights. Like they never, I'm sorry, they didn't Mirandize him. Mm -hmm. Now they didn't have to, though, according to them, because he was not under arrest. It was a non custodial investigation at this time. So this is a great place to just stop and pause and explain.
1: Okay, yes, please. (laughs)
0: If you are not under arrest, the police do not have to read you your rights. That means that you need to know your rights for yourself, and that means you do not need to be talking to the police without an attorney present. Because it's non-custodial. So like they don't have to read you rights because you're not under arrest. You're not under, you know, custodial, you know, guardianship by the police, so you don't have to be there. You can leave at any right. time. Daniel could have got up Without asking if he could leave, he could have just got up and walked out. According to the police, because it was a non-custodial investigation at this time, so he wasn't advised of his rights, nor did he invoke his rights.
1: Yeah, I think that's just so important to say because a lot, a lot of times it's just ignorance. Like if you don't know, you don't know,
0: and oftentimes the police do this as a tactic. Right? Mm-hmm. You're not under arrest. You're just here. You can. I, we just want to. We just want you to talk to us and like. Tell us, like, what you know, and do you know anything? We just need help, and are you going to help us? And I think there's a part of us that wants to help, especially when we feel like we're innocent and we didn't really do anything wrong. You're just like, I just want to help, and so you sit there and talk. Uh, No, you do not need to talk to the police without an attorney present. And I recently heard on, like, a true crime documentary where – one of the parents was talking about the the crime and she was like and he didn't want to talk to the police and that's how i knew that he was guilty and i was well, like well baby Eric, no, don't think i'm guilty that's not what that means I, I think that that is what we're trained in our culture to believe is that if you're not willing to talk to the police without an attorney present then you're guilty but no it's prudent to not talk to the police unless an attorney is present guilty or innocent get an attorney, you're
1: an attorney.
0: so um so yeah, so he ends up talking to the police and he talks to them for hours and he tells them, his story to them is, we I was walking down the street with my friend and this guy named Rick approached us and I don't really know this guy, but he just approached us and he was like, hey, do y'all want to take this car off our hands? Hmm? Y'all can have this car okay. so long as you move this car. And we were like, yeah.
1: Let's do it. This is like a plan.
0: And we drove around in the car for a couple of days. So that was his like story. And he was sticking to his story. So they go, they, they identify this Indian guy that everybody said that Daniel was with. And his name was Larry. And Larry.
1: And by Indian, we mean Native American by Indian yes. yeah
0: they were saying Indian but yes Indian Native American and so Larry they go pick Larry up and now Larry is under arrest because Larry had outstanding warrants so they actually don't pick Larry up under the the auspices of this investigation they pick Larry up on under his warrants and so they actually do advise Larry of his rights
1: okay so in that situation, what was Larry what was going on with Larry? Like what was his why he had once? Do you know? Yes, because
0: Larry <laughs> I'm like Larry. Larry has a criminal background. Mm. Now actually both of them have mm. a criminal background. But Larry was um on probation and he had violated the terms of his probation he was under you know uh, he was out of jail for robbery past robberies burglaries Mm -hmm. and some additional stuff like larry was a seasoned criminal the police knew him and they knew him well and so they advised larry of his rights but Larry waves his rights. He's like, "No, I don't need an attorney. I'm gonna talk." And Larry tells us the same story that Daniel tells. Okay, initially, 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 because they try to get both of these guys to turn on them, you know. And this, this is a classic investigative it's technique. A, yeah, it's it's like, like, come on, oldest time. It is old. Yeah. Like, tell us oldest time. <laughs> Song be, be, be. as oldest as okay. rhyme. Okay, it is it is everybody knows this is what the police do. They try to you got multiple people that are um, under suspicion of the of a crime. They try to get one of them to turn on the other person. And the way that they do that is say, hey, if you talk to us first,
1: I mean, you can get a deal.
0: I can help you. I can help you. You, Like, help me help you.
1: You know what I'm saying? And tell
0: me the truth. So I can just crack this case. Absolutely. And eventually, Larry does talk. (sighs) you know what's really interesting is that they presented a the same deal to Daniel they they literally push a piece of paper in front of Daniel with a written testimony of like the fact that that stated in Larry essence that Larry did it I witnessed Larry pulling the gun and kill, killing Mr. Jordan I didn't pull the gun but I did see Larry pull the gun and Daniel was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it. I don't, I'm sticking to my story.
1: I'm gonna stick beside him. I'm gonna stick beside
0: him. And he stuck beside him, but Larry did not stick beside him. They went and presented that same story to Larry, but basically on the flip side, saying, I saw Daniel do it. Daniel pulled the gun. He pulled the trigger. He killed Mr. Jordan. And Larry said, I'm signing that deal. Now, as this is going on, like even before, I kind of skipped over a part because even before they are trying to get Daniel and Larry to flip on each other, while they're in this investigation, like, you know, interrogation with mm-hmm. the police, other officers go to Daniel's house and they begin to conduct a search. Now, as they're conducting this search, they find um, this you know a sub vacuum yeah it's like a
1: shop vac like, yeah, it's like a shop vacuum and up, and they open it up and
0: mm-hmm. they find a gun a 38 caliber gun inside this shop vacuum and they believe that a 38 caliber gun is the 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 type of weapon that killed Mr. Jordan so they feel like we've hit the jackpot we know these these guys were driving this car and now we can put the gun in their hand because we got the gun. Is there anything else? And so as they're continuing to search, they see this area where, like, there's a bunch of VHS tapes. And if, I mean, you're going to have to explain the VHS tapes. Oh, because we do have some <laughs> folks on here that don't know what a VHS is. So VHS is back in the day, guys. Exactly, yeah. You, <laughs> you know, there would be this, you know, um, it's a tape, and it's like, rectangular mm-hmm. it's probably like the size of a book and you could stick this into a, a, a what it what about VCR. a vcr and once you stick this vhs into the vcr it plays a video much like a dvd now if you don't know what a dvd is
1: but we can't help i don't know you. if i
0: can help but basically you before a dvd before DVD was a VHS. And so, but they did the same things, but, you know, you, you know, it was big and bulky, basically. Mm -hmm. And so they had these VHS tapes, like, you know, stacked up, and they see them, and almost all of them were labeled. Like, you know, basically, you know, saying what it was. Because back in the day, you would stick VHS tapes in your VCR, and you would record your, story your soap opera that you're watching whatever you would record tv shows because this was like before there was you know record and pause and rewind on your tv so you if you wanted to like watch a show that you knew you weren't going to be home to see you had to set up your vcr press record set the timer for it to go off at the time that it was supposed to record and on the the station they would supposed to record the whole thing The whole thing, guys and so there were labels on all of these vhs tapes except for one one vhs tape was not labeled and for the police that was suspicious so they grabbed that particular tape and took it back to their station and watched that tape yeah, you, girl. now on that tape they see daniel green rapping i mean he's saying things like two shots to the head bro i mean like Pretending like he's pointing a gun. But more than hearing him rap and acting all like, you know, gangster, whatever. They see Mr. Jordan's Rolex watch and his NBA All-Star ring. Mm -hmm. So not only are they able to put the gun in, you know, these boys' hands but they actually see Daniel wearing
1: flex hard
0: flexing the dead man's possessions and so they feel like we have an open and shut case
1: yeah and this this went super fast didn't it it, it went like it the- was really
0: quick it was like a you know you know, we find this car. We find the body. We we you know arrest the the perpetrators. You know, they find the the gun. They find the VHS tape. They get Larry to flip on Daniel. They get a confession. Boom, boom, boom. This is a seal we're deal. we going to trial.
1: So this should be the end of it, right? This
0: should be the end of this case. But we know it's not because there's a part two.
1: There's a part.
0: Because two. although this seems very open and shut, it's Very far from that, because there was some very deeply rooted corruption going on in the police.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you have to find out about this wind, winding road. It gets crazier than you think. Absolutely. It's open and shut, but you have to pull back the layers of the onion as they say to really kind of make your deduction at the end to say, hmm, do I Absolutely. believe this happened or not? And back
0: in 93, 93, 94, 95 when this case, 95 I think is when it went to trial. Um back back when this happened, it was it was very open and shut for not just the police but for the media for everybody that knew anything about the case uh um and it wasn't until recently that uh one of Daniel Green's you know attorneys kind of shed light on how this is not is is anything but open and shit
1: yeah so absolutely.
0: next week we will come back and explain just how corrupt the police and rosemond
1: county. In county was yeah yeah so before we go and let you guys you know marinate on this for a little bit um definitely want to provide an update about a case that we covered here back on season three which is an update on shanquilla robinson can you tell us a little bit about the md
0: Right, so um, Shanquilla Robinson is one of the cases that we actually covered uh, that was present. I mean, we typically don't do that on our podcast. Uh, Steph does do that in her story times on TikTok. Go follow us at Murder in the Black. But we don't typically do that here because it's very difficult to keep up with it in terms of, you know, most of the time, police officers do not release information in an ongoing investigation. Right. So it's hard, right? It's hard to get those details and to really be thorough in our investigation to be able to give you the details that you need. However, we chose this case and we want to keep you updated. And so there was a recent um, update in this case about six days ago. The FBI came out and stated that based on their evidence and their findings, And their investigation, they do not believe that they have available evidence to support a federal prosecution. So what does that
1: mean? I mean, obviously they can't go forward,
0: right? Well, not with a federal prosecution at this time. And they don't say at this time, but I'm saying at this time because you just never know what may come up later down the road. And, 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 you're not, you know, federal, the, the federal uh, federal prosecutors can always, you know, bring charges later. One of the things that I want to say, because so many people are like, so what does this mean? And is this the same as the extradition to Mexico? It is not the same as the extradition to Mexico. This is completely separate and apart. This is the United States. Um, when you have a crime involving a United States citizen um, and a United States citizen is alleged to be a to have taken, place, taken part of that crime, the the U.S. can pursue charges, right? right? We can pursue charges, and so this is the United States saying we don't have enough evidence to support a federal prosecution at this time. Ta- at this time, now, what did? And I think this is what so many people want to understand. Well, what did the federal, uh, what did the FBI do to investigate this crime? Why do they feel there is no evidence? And what the FBI did was they talked to the family, they interviewed the family. They interviewed uh, the travel mates of Shanquilla, so the people that traveled with her. Now, it's not clear if they interviewed every single person that traveled or just specific people, but they did conduct some interviews with the people that they traveled with. And then they actually did an autopsy of their own of Shanquilla Robinson's body. Now, what I what I think was is really interesting about this particular autopsy is that. When the FBI conducted this autopsy, the body had already been examined and, for lack of a better term, messed with. You know, I'm trying to think of a better way to say it, but it had already been, you know, manipulated and handled and... It was actually also embalmed because, remember, they had to transport the body from Mexico to the United States. So by the time the FBI received the body and conducted their investigation and their autopsy, the body had been manipulated through
1: so many. Different so hands. many. Yeah. But
0: what I what I want to share with you is that their autopsy did not reveal any Spinal cord injury. Now, remember, the autopsy in the Me- Mexico revealed that there was a spinal cord injury.
1: Right, that was like her spinal cord was severed.
0: Yes, they stated in the in the uh, Mexican um, uh, autopsy that the spinal cord was severed and um, that you know it, it looked like there was foul play right, involved. Right, um, but that is not what the fbi found the fbi found that there was no spinal cord injury and they did see that there was some swelling on the brain however they stated, stated that the cause of death was undetermined wow undetermined and so um I want to say that it is very unusual for the federal for federal officials to actually release any kind of public statement about an ongoing investigation or the status of an investigation. Like this is very unique, but the federal um, federal officials felt like it was necessary to do so. And they and I quote what they stated: "It is important to reassure the public that experienced federal agents and seasoned prosecutors extensively reviewed the available evidence and concluded that federal charges." cannot be pursued.
1: No, that's disappointing.
0: So I I really want to, to put emphasis on that federal charges cannot be pursued. And I want to put emphasis on what they did not say. They did not say that there was no foul play involved. They did not say that they don't think that federal charges could be pursued later down the line. Like, you know, they, they're they not saying that. It's important to understand that when you bring federal, um, when you take, when you bring a case to trial, like when you say, hey, we're going to bring charges against somebody and you take that person to trial, if the jury acquits that person, that's it, that's all.
1: Right, that is true.
0: Double jeopardy. And so you have to be very careful about if you don't have a lot of evidence, you feel like you have weak evidence or the evidence just doesn't support your conclusion, you can't just, you know, gung-ho say, I'm just going to, I know it, I feel it in my gut, Mm -hmm. and I'm just going to go with what I feel. You have to be very strategic. And so, unfortunately for the family – that's how the federal officials felt about this case. And they didn't feel like they had enough to warrant federal charges being filed. Um, and that's it. That's, that's where this case lands in terms of, you know, federal charges in the United States being brought. Now, can extradition still happen for those individuals that the Mexican authorities have named? Yes. Will it happen? I don't know.
1: Right. Right. We just have no idea.
0: No idea. And I mean, I just want to throw out there that th- there are so many nuances to that. There's so many nuances to extradition and wanting to cooperate with the country that's requesting the extradition. There's political implications to it. Um and, you, and I'm not, without going into like a whole lot of detail, I just want you to sit there and think about all of the things that have happened in the media, have happened here lately, as it re- relates to the cartel and to Mexican authorities and to the United States. And just let all of that process, and it's unfortunate that Shanquilla Robinson's case may or may not be caught up in that. So... Where do we stand now? Well, the family is extremely disappointed. Yeah. Um, they they feel like justice is not being served, and and I, I want to you know share with you one of the statements that uh, the the family's attorney made after the the federal officials released you know their findings, and I I just thought it was so powerful, and it really speaks to why Steph and I do our, one of the reasons we do our podcast. And um, their attorney stated, Black and brown people always have to carve their own path to justice. And while that's that statement seems so matter of fact, it oftentimes is the case, you know, and it's unfortunate that it oftentimes is the case. Many of our cases, many of Many of our paths to justice for for people of color comes with a price, and it comes with a a long, hard fight. It comes with having to to scream at the top of our our lungs and Mm. and to not put down the banner of what we believe is the justice that we so deserve. And I'm not saying that the federal officials dropped the ball in this case. It's really hard to say that Mm -hmm. when— you, you know, I've never seen the evidence. I, I don't know what they investigated and what they didn't. And, you know, all I know is what's on social media and the little bit of pieces that is out in, in the public. But, you know, I do know historically black and brown people, I do know historically that people of color have to fight a little harder for the justice that they believe that they want. And so if you want to join that fight with this family, with Shankula Robinson's family, they are holding a march to, at the State Department's headquarters in Washington, D.C. on May 19th, um, which would mark the 200th day since Shanquilla Robinson passed away. You are more than welcome to join them and stand with them to raise your voice if you believe that Shankula Robinson deserves um more justice than what she has has received which is pretty much none. none. So, right.
1: That, that sums it up. But yeah, so we we will continue to um give you guys updates about this case. We, we we are hoping that more evidence um comes forth so that we can get these people who are responsible for her death the first time around. Um so we hope that Maya's or MD I mean, you know what I, mean, I just have to say, it is. My, my husband names. listened to this episode. And MD literally said my ear, MD, my ear, MD, like four times. He was like, okay, <laughs> she just needs to say my ear at this point. <laughs> no, it's MD. We're gonna keep that. Yeah. So MD. Yeah. You know, I, I hope you guys have enjoyed uh, the legal explanation. We actually had somebody leave us a review during our hiatus. And she commented on how much she enjoyed MD's perspective, legal perspective, because she doesn't often get that in other podcasts. So, you know, well, hell,
0: you know, I try to help out as much as possible. It's fun to talk about that because that's my full time job. So I love it.
1: Yeah. So we hope that you guys have enjoyed this episode. We want to encourage you to leave us a review. And give us some critiques If you feel like we need some Uh, We are open to healthy critiques Um, And also just share If you care With your friends and family And we will be hosting a giveaway soon So be on the lookout Make sure you're listening to the updates at the end Because that's the only way you're going to catch it We're not going to announce it You You have to listen, listen Listen,
0: share, like, subscribe All of those things And we will see you next week
1: yes this is murder in the black
0: till next time friends
1: bye